Today, although we are not yet to Holy Week, the lectionary reading is an event that takes place in the midst of Holy Week. So we invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, which is John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them in an unusual way. He answered them by saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will also honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people To myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he would die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you're going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. After Jesus had said this, he departed and hid from them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, on this your day, may the words of my mouth, but the meditations of all of our hearts, the thoughts upon our minds, be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen and amen. And please be seated. As we come to John chapter 12, Jesus has recently raised Lazarus from the dead. It's now the time of Passover. Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey. The crowd welcomed his arrival and hailed him as king. Jerusalem is full of people from all over the world. 
gathered for the feast. And among the crowd, there are some Gentiles. And please, as we go through today's sermon, please keep that question, that desire that was upon their lips, keep that upon your heart. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, this text is an interesting one for several reasons. First, it seems a little unexpected to find Greeks in Jerusalem at the feast. Now, they were probably Gentiles who were converts to Judaism, which if you were to do that today, bless you. I mean, do not leave the church. That's not what I'm saying. But have you ever heard how much you have to learn to be a Jewish proselyte? It makes confirmation class look like an afternoon watching Schoolhouse Rock. It is serious. Memorization, learning this stuff. I think it's more intense than the American requirements for becoming a citizen. So these were individuals who were motivated and interested. And they bring this request Sir, we want to see Jesus. And it's never really answered what happened to them next. We don't find out whether they ever were brought to Jesus. Jesus, upon hearing that, says, Well, now is the time for me to complete that which I came to do, that I may be lifted up in all people, including the Gentile proselytes, including the Samaritans, including all of those who have never heard in any portion the word of God. It is time to draw all people to myself. And it's interesting to me that immediately upon hearing that Gentiles were asking for him, Jesus' mind went immediately to that cross. It was finally the indication that his time had come that all may see him, that he be lifted up. Now, you can see this as the turning point of this gospel. Because up until now, there had been this repeated theme in John's gospel. Over and over, it is said that his hour has not yet come. Remember Mary, Jesus, the wedding in Canaan? Um, Jesus, can you handle this? Dear woman, please don't just call your mother woman. You might pay dearly for that. But in the way of the time, which was a a way of respect, dear woman, what have I to do with this? It is not yet my time. And of course, being a good Jewish mom, she just said, now listen, y'all just do whatever he says. And he turned the water into wine. When his brothers, who were not yet believing in him, advised him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7, Jesus replied, his time was not yet here. When he taught openly in the temple, again his enemies could not seize him because in John 8, his time had not yet come. Here is where he says in John 12, the hour has arrived, my time is come. Why now? What is the significance? Why does that drive it home and make John say, this is something I need to include, that when these Gentiles came up and asked to see Jesus, he immediately said, now is the time. Now is the hour. 
You remember at the very beginning of John's gospel? He came to his own, but his own did not accept him. But to all who received him, you notice there's no qualifier there, just those who received him who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. In the midst of that holiest of weeks, his own were in the process of rejecting him, of sending him to the cross. But that was God's plan. And now the gospel would go forth, not just in Jerusalem, but to Samaria, not just to Samaria, but Rome, and from there to all the ends of the earth. The hour had come for the Son of Man to be glorified, Jesus said. Now, when you think of Jesus being glorified, what is it that comes to mind? Maybe it is Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, the palm branches riding in on the donkey, maybe being... (laughs) I was never a star quarterback. I know that comes as a shock to you. (laughs) Why are y'all laughing? I just don't... Okay. Um... On the other hand, I think I could have used being carried on some people's shoulders once in a while so I could see what was going on. Have you ever seen when they put them on their shoulders and parade them around and that is giving praise or giving glory to that individual for what they had done? Today you might be glorified, receive praise and honor. Maybe you've been presented with the two highest possible civilian awards in the U.S., the Presidential Medal of Freedom or the Congressional Gold Medal. Maybe you went to the Olympics and you have brought home an Olympic gold medal and people are going, yeah, or there was one recently did not even expect to win and they were cheering when she crossed the finish line. Why? You got the gold. What? (laughs) It was amazing. I've got to go back and watch that on YouTube. YouTube has everything now. Or maybe you've you've had a beautiful singing voice. It's, no, Heather's not here. I was going to look at Heather. You've got a beautiful singing voice and people just keep saying, oh, you need to go on one of those programs. You know that American Idol and then that one that came from that and that one and then that. We're on the fifth or sixth one now. You need to go to that. And they win. And everybody in the nation knows your name and you're getting phone calls from publicists and paparazzi start following you around. Maybe that's not the best thing. But that's in our mind being glorified, being lifted up, being praised, being honored, receiving accolades. But when Jesus is talking about being glorified, that the Son of Man is about to be glorified, for some reason He means the Son of Man is about to die upon the cross. And to drive it home, John makes sure we know He said this to indicate the kind of death He was to die. So for some reason here, that would have been shocking to the first readers. And whenever we are growing up and we realize that the way to victory is often suffering or even just relinquishing the desire for it and following God, maybe it still shocks us a little that for Jesus, the Son of Man is to be glorified meant Him dying on the cross. There's 
a topic that usually we don't present in this blunt way. It sounds strange to modern ears. Have you ever heard someone say that a part of the gospel for the Christian, a part of what we like to call sanctification or being made holy, is dying to self? Have you ever heard that? Now there is a necessity of death here that is kind of surprising to us. Jesus is taking this image of death and saying, no, this instead of a death, this is one of glory. This will be bringing to new life three days later. And he brings it home saying, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now you think he's just talking about himself, right? But look what he follows this up with. Those who love their life will lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He said things like this before. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Somehow, death and seeing Jesus are related. To see Jesus is more than just looking upon him, and it's more than just believing the things he said and did. If we are following him, we are not just spectators, we are to be participants If we want to see Jesus, then in some way we have to, like this seed, we have to be willing to die to bear much fruit. Jesus said, where I am, there will my servant be also. Remember, he's heading to the cross. He's heading to the place of sacrifice, of the giving up of himself for the lives, the eternal life of all of us. And he says where we need to be is where he is at that place of surrendering for God's will to be done. Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Unless that grain of wheat falls, it will never bear fruit. That process of dying to self, that way in which we see Jesus. That means dying to those parts of us which, of our lives, which blind us. The fear, the need to be right, the need to be in control, anger, resentment, guilt, disappointments from the past, attachment to power or wealth or reputation. The ways in which we separate ourselves from one another, our obsessions, our compulsions, our agendas, the ways in which we, even without trying, sometimes hurt one another and damage our relationships. This process is ultimately one of dying to our self-ism, our self-sufficiency. It means that we have found our identity and our worth in Christ and we're living out of that, not out of the pains and the wounds that we have received. We let them go to receive life in Him. And it's not easy. 
It is difficult. It is painful. Jesus described what he was to go through as something that is soul troubling. And for us, it can shake us to our very cores, but it is also what begins to heal us, to enable us to see a new life, a new way of living. And this new way looks a lot like Jesus and his way of living. His way of being, it's, it's a big part of Lent. A big part of this time of Lent and of Holy Week. This idea that through the cross, Christ has died for us and we take up our cross and we follow Him into the place of the giving up of some of the things that we hold most dear and we find more than we ever believed we would in the surrendering of it. Dying to self is not the end, but is the way in which God sets about transforming who we are into who we were meant to be. And the purpose of this was in that little sentence. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. You and I are crying out during the day, Lord, we want to see you. This world, even when they, it does not realize it, is crying out to see Jesus. It needs the healing that that brings. Every story that you hear of brokenness, every news report of tragic actions of disturbed individuals testify that this world needs the healing that Jesus can bring and that we are called to offer in His name. When we hear that next... You know, we, we hear too much of these stories. And in this world where the journalists have long said, if it bleeds, it leads. Even if there's good news hidden, you know, you'll read a shocking headline, and if you actually read the story, it's, oh, it's not like that there was one not too long ago. The crisis of the shrinking farms in America. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Turns out that the farmers are able to make a lot more food with a lot less land, so they're not planting as much land. They're letting some go fallow. So, yeah, so it's a good story, but they spun it into the bad way to get the headline to grab your attention. Now, I don't know about you, but usually I don't go through and buy all of those papers and read anything but the headlines. We hear now so much that is bad that might not even be so. But I do want you and I myself to remember every time we hear of these horrible stories or we hear of the next shooting or the next tragedy or the next suicide, I want us to also hear in our minds the plea of those three Gentile converts. We wish to see Jesus. Please, sir, please, ma'am, we wish to see Jesus. Last week I mentioned the foster care system and the churches. I said I'd find the information. It goes well with this. In 2012 there were 3,300 
and 97,000 foster care cases in the U.S. But by 2016, that had increased to 437,500 children in the foster care system in the U.S. We don't have 2016 or 17 or 18 numbers, but in 2012 there were 384,000 functioning, worshiping churches in America. So if every church in America had one family willing to take in a foster child or two because there are brothers and sisters in the system together, we could empty the system out at least for a time. And yes, that's a crazy thing to say. But can you imagine what would happen with at least just this example, this one example? Imagine what would happen if all of those children were shown what a loving family looks like, were shown what Jesus looks like. Ask any teacher in here about the effect and the impact that the families and that its brokenness is having upon the children they teach, and they could write a book. When was the last time in the Western world that the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in all its many forms and factions and varieties, when was the last time that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ shocked the world by doing something shockingly good? Wouldn't that be amazing. Something not just nice, something not just caring, but what if the world saw extravagant love, extravagant sacrifice? What if they saw us standing where Jesus stood? In a way, this has been part two with part one being last week. Someone said that was challenging. That's Lent. That's what we are to do. Do we wish to see Jesus? Do we want others to see more of Jesus in us? If Jesus said that where He is, His servant will also be found, then Jesus calls us to stand in the place of self-sacrifice and self-giving with Him. So we must look for the ways and the places in which our lives are the most guarded, the most insulated, the most isolated, the places of blindness, the places where we need to die to self to live as Christ. If we hear His call and let those parts of ourselves fall to the ground and die, There will be much fruit, and this world and we ourselves will see Jesus lifted up. Dear Lord, let it be so. Amen.